What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 13 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this episode of the podcast, we have a ton of stuff to get to, including some news about Matt Chamberlain and the Groove Scribe. In our Shop Talk section, we will get into nylon tip versus wood tip sticks. In our educational corner, we'll break down the differences between groupings and subdivisions. Our featured artist this time will be Mr. Robert Sput Seawright from the band Snarky Puppy. In our gear review section, we'll take a look at Pearl's new offering, the wood fiberglass kit. And as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. What is up, everyone? Welcome into episode thir- Oh, wait, that's the real intro. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> that works. Just go with it. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, it is episode 13. Hopefully, everyone is doing fantastic. Mr. Dawson, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. So we had to uh, follow up with our word on the drumhead discussion. So you said you talked to Chris Brady, right? I did. I spoke to Chris Brady about it, and he was... So we still have more research to do. He wanted to talk more to Roy Burns about it. Um, but he, he told me some great things like, uh, you know, I, I never knew where the name Weather King came from. And he said that the, the term Weather King was that you couldn't play calfskin heads in the rain. Like if you were marching and stuff, they would get ruined. All skin heads would get ruined by water and just general dampness, maybe in your garage or whatever. Yep. And so Weather King came out as the first kind of, you know, plastic based mylar head. And the whole point of it was that if it rained on your gig or if it was moist in your garage, you know, that it wouldn't ruin the head. So that's kind of, but it started out as a coated head. So coated was started to replicate the calf skin heads and the skin heads of the time. And then we're trying to find out when the first clear head came out. So we're still doing research on that. Um, But it was, it was really cool just to hear that it's like, wow, I have no idea when this happened. It just all of a sudden showed up. So I think it went, I think the timeline is from skinheads to coated heads to hazy heads to clear heads. Interesting. Yeah. And then probably after that, it went all the way to the Remo fiber skin where they're like, let's go all the way back to 1910. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I don't think those actually sound like calf skins at all to me. They're totally No, they just – I think it's just a look. And actually, I, I can't remember who was telling me, but I think that both – and maybe you can check into this, but I think that Remo – and either FedEx or somebody, the patent on that material is, Remo has a patent on that material, but it's the same material that would be on the inside of a FedEx envelope uh, for shipping. No kidding. Yeah. I, I know there's a connection between that head and then the inside of envelopes that they use for shipping. That's pretty weird. Yeah, it's a really weird material because I remember asking, you know, because Gretsch drums ship a lot of them ship with that fiber skin head, and I love that look. Like that's what's on my broadcaster. I remember asking Aquarian, "Hey, c- can we make something like this?" And and they were, I think it was them that were telling me we can't actually make that because Remo has a patent on that material mm-hmm. along with FedEx or UPS or somebody. I was like, "What? That's crazy." Yeah. yeah, I love that as a resonant head on bass drums. Totally. Uh, not just because of the look. The look is cool, but it also I found that the heavier weight resonant head lowers the the tone of the drum so using like a really thin single ply can make it a little bit boingy if you don't use a lot of dampening and stuff so that's been my uh, magic formula to use like a power stroke three batter and a fiber skin front which i, I stole that from chris McHugh and, and matt chamberlain those two guys use that same setup yeah 
Like, that's, that's what I'm using right now, and I just usually take a little bit of rubbing alcohol and get rid of the Remo logo at the bottom. <laughs> and uh, But it is it is just for looks. When I do my clinic, I prefer to have the Aquarian Force One coated on my resonant and then the Force One clear on my batter. But it, it's tough when you have – like I have the Gretsch Broadcaster, and it's such a vintage-looking kit, and I have all the vintage hardware and the vintage rail mount. So with that fiber skin head, it just looks amazing, you know? Yeah. Um, but, and it does sound really good. Hey, so what do you think about Matt Chamberlain switching to Gretsch? Good God. That is... <laughs> there goes oh, your is, uh, clinic support right there. <laughs> I know, exactly, right? <laughs> I'm so ex- I'm so looking forward to that call where they're like, hey, Mike, uh, we've knocked you down to $11 per clinic because uh, we just signed a studio legend. Yeah, Matt Chamberlain, I mean, you and I, That's Matt Chamberlain is one of our connecting threads that caused our friendship to happen in the first place. You know, we would start talking about critters bugging and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And you would send me links of things that he did. So, yeah, Matt's definitely one of my favorite drummers in the world. I loved him on Craviato, but him moving to Gretsch, that was just like, oh, this is so cool. And, uh, you know, I was really, really excited for my A&R, uh, Andrew Shreve, because obviously they're the A&Rs, if you guys don't know out there, the A&Rs, the ones that are kind of pulling the strings to, you know, make this stuff happen. And, and it's not as cutthroat as you guys think or might think. It's not quite like trying to get people to switch teams and you're baiting them with different things. Really what you do is you just hope that someday that artist wants to play your product. And if they do, you try to facilitate it in the best way possible. And so I think, you know, when I looked at all of Matt's Instagram feeds and all of Matt's Facebook posts, he's always had Gretsch drums in his lineup. Even though he's been a Craviato artist, there's always been Gretsch snares in the background. There's always been Gretsch kits in the background and he's never been shy about posting it. You know, he'll say in the studio today with my Gretsch you know, USA custom. So I think it makes a lot of sense. It's not like he went from Craviato to a random company that he had no association with. Did you see the video that, that, that they put out of him unveiling his first delivery? I, I of saw, no, I saw the post. So I saw the Facebook feed and that was, and I'm in the middle of a camp. And so it's kind of like, okay, I can't tell these guys to be all responsible and get off of social media if during their drum camp I'm looking at Facebook feeds. So it kills me that I haven't seen it yet. So what is it like? Well, uh, Andrew brought over, well, they just drop shipped a, like a ton of Gretsch drums to Matt's studio. Of course. And him and Andrew are just unboxing it. So it's like a, a broadcaster collection that's like ridiculous. I think it's three bass drums and like four oh or five God. toms. And then he gets a USA Custom. I mean, it's it's crazy. Then he plays each kit sort of basically out of the box. He did swap the heads. He put coated emperors on the toms, and he plays each. He plays like a thirteen, sixteen, twenty four setup in both kits for just a couple minutes, and then talks about it. It's cool. You can just see the excitement on even Andrew. You can tell he's like excited. Like, wow, that's a beautiful drum. Now he's so excited, and if you guys don't know, so Gretsch has a new A and R named Andrew Shreve, and he came. He was over at Peisty for God, like fourteen years or so. So he's just really helping reinvigorate the company as well because he's coming in with so much excitement. He's been a symbol A&R forever, but he's a, he's a killer drummer. Um, and now he's super juiced to be over at Gretsch. And so, yeah, he's so excited about everything. Like As soon as you know Taylor's uh, hot pink kit for the Foo Fighters was done, he was like, yo, you got to check it out, man. Check it out. <laughs> like, That's cool, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm stoked that you're this excited about it. And uh, 
Uh, and actually, him and I are working on a new kit right now um, that's kind of part of a big announcement that will be made in a couple months. But it's it's been really fun just to have all that new energy going on over at Gretsch. And then having somebody like Matt Chamberlain is just huge. Yeah, and you know, thinking about it now, when Andrew is at Peisty, I think it was around the same time I saw a photo of Matt's kit. He was in Nashville doing a session. And Drum Paradise, they, that's a great Instagram to follow if you don't. Uh, they're just always showing everybody's kits in the studio down there in Nashville. Drum Paradise is a is a big rental uh, cartage company. Got it. So they they every day they're showing here's Chad Cromwell's kit, here's Lonnie Wilson's kit, here's Shannon Forrest's kit, here's Matt Chamberlain's kit, and on the kit were a bunch of Peisty symbols. Oh really? Yeah. This so I it didn't think twice. It's like well maybe that's that's just what they had at the studio and that's what he wanted to use. But then uh, someone commented like well why is he using Peisty? And Drum Paradise response was those are Matt symbols. Like, so wow, he, he owned a set of Pisces. So I'm thinking maybe uh-huh. Andrew was already kind of working with him then. I know that I know that the two of them have been friends for a very long time. And so, you know, and that's that's another part about endorsements. And maybe one day we'll do an entire podcast on endorsements. But you're not just picking the gear. You have to work with these people all the time. So you're picking the gear plus the family. And, you know, that's a huge part of it. And I remember when I was uh, moving to Gretsch, when I was asking people in the industry, I wasn't asking like, "Hey, what's the clinic support like? What, you know, uh, what's the quality of the drums?" That was not a concern of mine. I was asking, "How are they to work with? Who's the A and R? How are the people there? Are they nice? Are they, you know, are they L.A. Hollywood drum set, you know, kind of cool kids with sunglasses indoors, or are they real down to earth like people, you know?" And so that's a huge part of it. So I'm sure that, uh, you know sure that matt and andrew are, are just happy to be working together so it's really cool and you said that he moved to sabian too yeah, i was going to ask is there still a gretch sabian connection or that never never moved? i don't think that happened that was supposed to happen with the because that was part of kmc and then i think with the dw thing that the distribution was going to go through too where dw was going to have the distribution for gretch and sabian but I, I think sabian ended up not being a part of that okay so, so I, I think this is a completely separate deal yeah, so I saw Matt is now a uh, a Sabian artist, and he was a Sabian artist years ago before he went to Istanbul Agop. So it's kind of a return back to the Got it. back to that I guess the '90s era, like when he was playing late '90s with Fiona Apple and stuff. Fiona Apple, he was playing Sabian, Tory. yeah, early Tory yeah. stuff. He was playing Sabian duo duo rides yep. and hi hats and stuff. So really, yeah, he just decided to change it all up. I've yet to talk to him about it, but hopefully, we'll see him at Nam and kind of get the scoop. Yeah, because I, I mean, if you and I can jump into rumor mill for a second, like I wonder, you know, Craviato and Istanbul Agop were such boutique companies that you're clearly playing them not for the support. You're playing them strictly for the gear because there is no real support there because um, the companies are so small. I wonder if he's planning on doing more, more public things like clinics and stuff where he would need drum set support and cymbal support. You know, I mean, I would love to see a clinic tour by Matt Chamberlain. That would yeah. be unreal. I think, I mean... I did see he played with Chris Cornell on one of the TV shows like last week okay. or so. So maybe there's oh, wow. something happening maybe. there. Maybe he's got some touring coming up and he just needs to have gear all around the world. We should ask him. He's easy enough to reach. Cool, man. That's Let's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, so you're in the you're about to finish up your last camp. So how's that wrapping up? Do you get oh. like sad and cry at the end of the season? Dude, every time. <laughs> well, I get sad at the end of camp cuz every camp, you know, we only have 8 campers here uh per camp and we do 
10 camps per year. This year I did 11 because I did another, I did that extra one in, in Ireland. Uh, so this is my 11th camp of the year and it's, it's our 65th camp total since we opened the Mike Sussman's facility. Um, but yeah, it's, it's only eight guys and we're together, you know, 12 hours a day for set for six days in a row. So we just become such a tight knit family because we're watching each other fail. We're supporting each other through the whole thing. You end up knowing everybody's drumming weaknesses, all their drumming strengths. And usually by the fourth or fifth day, you know, all the personal stuff too, you yeah. know, cause we have a lot of like, uh, the hotel they stay at is in the same parking lot as our facility. And behind the hotel, like kind of in the hotel's backyard is this really gorgeous, uh, fire pit. And it's kind of like an outdoor area that they set up for weddings, but the whole week long, since there's no weddings going on, it's just for our campers. And so they just sit out there all night and talk. And so by the end of the week, these guys are best friends. And I'm I'm getting to be a part of that. And then, yeah, then they leave. And it's just the most empty feeling. And then on it's really the worst is on Sunday. When I come in here, all the practice kits are empty. Oh, yeah. It's just like tumbleweeds rolling through. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Well, that's what it was like to rent friends for six days. <laughs> Back to my lonely day. So, uh yeah, it's tough, man. It's really tough, but it's so worth it. Just watching them grow. And the most important thing for the camp is just setting them up for the next year of practice. I can't make them better in six days. My my goal is to say, okay, when you leave here, you know exactly what the next year of your life is going to be like so that they have a real focus. And then hopefully then I can see that growth a year from now when they come back to camp. So yeah, so, yeah, so I'm just finishing that up now. Um, Do you take a vacation then, uh, like on Sunday now that it's the end of it? Are you going to? take a couple days and not even think about drums no um i should um but uh no i i have to get ready for uh the tam tam drum festival in spain and the london drum show so i'm gonna go just crazy uh obsessive practice up until then uh and i'm actually even doing a i'm doing a clinic in los angeles or near los angeles in riverside california and um I would have to look at Facebook to find out the date. I think that's on Wednesday or Thursday. Um, but uh, so I'm, I'm getting ready for that. And so, yeah, I'll kind of go all the way until, I guess, no late November. And then I'll I'll take a break for sure. I yeah. need one. It's a long year. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I got to I, I gotta earn that uh, Clinician of the Year nomination that you guys keep giving me. I got to <laughs> earn it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Speaking of which, the voting for the Reader's Poll opens on November 1st. We should talk about that someday because I've always it's it's a little conflict of interest now, but uh, it's always been a weird thing for me because, you know, it's it's almost like a social media popularity contest now. And so I've never wanted to ask anyone to vote for me. But then at the same time, it's like, I don't know, should I kind of want to I want it to go back to where you actually had to fill it out with a pen and send it in because then, you know, it's real, you know, I mean, it's always going to be a. A, a, popular, a popularity contest. I mean, you can't. Sure. Otherwise, we would just choose the winners and no one gets a vote on it. That would be awesome. <laughs> I mean, but that's not our vibe. Modern so. drummer <laughs> decides you have fast hands. <laughs> Here's your award. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there cool, are. Man. I could. I can explain a little about the nomination process. Um, so just a couple of years ago, we decided that we should start nominating at least five people and then leaving an open slot for anyone to write whoever they think should win it. And there was a couple of reasons for that. Mainly it was because uh, we felt it was unfair to expect our readers to be educated on every style, every genre, every product, and, and be able to make a, sure. a true suggestion. 
so just to assist and in any type of voting situation it's never like who who do you want to be president and there's no candidates it's never that way right you want to be the mayor for your town just right, pick somebody course. tell us who you think so we wanted to go more aligned with standard practice for voting we also wanted to make sure that the people who were nominated were in the magazine sometime in that year because it is a reader's poll so we're hoping that you're reading the magazine and you're seeing these names so that'd be why some year maybe Vinny Coyuta isn't nominated. Well, we didn't do a story with him that year. So otherwise it would be like well, – it's like the studio category would always be Vinny Coyuta and Josh Fries. But So we felt like we can't keep nominating the same people. So the right. basic goal was to give people a select group of here's people who have been in the magazine. You can pick your favorite or you can write in anybody that you want. Cool. So kind Very of cool. made it a little bit more fair and representative. So, yeah, the polling starts on November 1st. It goes through December 15th. So go to moderndrummer.com and vote next week. Yeah. The, the trick really for me is just getting people to understand the write-in part of it and say, like, look, if I came to your town and, and I was your favorite clinician of the year, feel free to vote for me. But if there's somebody else that you think deserves it, like, vote for them. You know, this might be the chance to get somebody some attention that – modern drummer didn't think of you know and yeah. maybe if there's an avalanche of votes for somebody that you know wasn't on modern drummer's radar this is a great way for you guys to be like oh wow there's 600 votes for this guy and we've never even we didn't even know who he was so yeah we've had a couple um, of winners uh i know for for sure ben caesar won the country drummer category a couple of years ago and he wasn't sure. nominated so it, it has happened sure yeah no i think it's great awesome man Yes, yeah, so we got to talk about your Groove Scribe update. So what's been going on with that? It seemed like it's been an avalanche. Yeah, no, it's been pretty crazy. So uh, for all of you guys out there that don't know, the Groove Scribe is a tool. It's just a web app, and it allows you to kind of use – I don't want to give a commercial for it, but it go check it out. It's on mikeslessons.com. There's a logo to the right that says Groove Scribe. You don't need to be signed up. I don't need your email address or anything like that. But all it does is it allows you to kind of take the, the way that – drum machine apps have programmed you to like click on dots you just do that like you normally would but it's creating simultaneously it's creating the proper music notation for you and it's really just it was it was born out of myself and Lou Montuli a programmer um, our idea to like find a simple easy way to just keep track of grooves and create ideas so anyways we released it about a week and a half ago and it just exploded and it did its job people were writing in like hey man i've been waiting for this my whole life thank you because like i said it doesn't cost anything it's totally free it works on all devices whether it's a mobile device computer it doesn't matter whether it's os you know nine doesn't none of that stuff matters if you can access the internet you can use this thing and so the only problem I had was when you know when I was using it, I was like, man, these samples, these drum samples are kind of, I think they were my Gretsch samples from maybe three years ago. There was a lot of reverb on the hi-hats. Well, when you're making samples, that reverb can last too long or it can be too short. So we just decided let's go in and resample everything, every ghost note, every accent, every hi-hat hit. And we resampled it with my Gretsch broadcasters, but took all of the reverb off, all of the effects off. So it's a very dry drum set. So the samples themselves, by themselves, sound really dry and boring. But when you put them into a loop, like you're doing in the Groove Scribe, it actually sounds extremely natural. And then we added some more texture options because we wanted people to be able to create very realistic sounding grooves as much as you can with a with a drum machine based program. So we added uh, ride cymbal bell. We added a more natural hi-hat open. We added a more natural ghost note. Uh, we added a buzz stroke for the snare. Uh, we also added a cowbell, but a real, like I recorded my real cowbell. 
um, and a, a more realistic ride cymbal hit. Uh, and then we really adjusted the volumes so that they were very realistic, like you were playing on the drum set. Because the touch you have on the drum set, when I had all of the samples at the same volume, as soon as you hear it, you go like, wow, that sounds extremely robotic. That's not how a human would play the the drums. So the kick and snare have to naturally be sampled a little bit louder than, say, the hi-hats. And then that way the hi-hats sit in the mix. So that uh, update just happened today. So I'm really excited about it. And, you know, you don't, and the good thing is since we're updating it, you don't have to update it. It's all done in the browser. So right. all you do is go to the GrooveScribe, and now it's a cooler version of it for you. Has there been a lot of sharing of ideas? Have you noticed? Oh, my God. Out of control. So out of control. And what's really cool is it's actually working because when I check out other people's ideas, I can't help but to start clicking on things. And then I send it back to them and say, hey, your groove was was awesome. If you ever wanted to make it an independence exercise, I added in some left foot part for you. Here you go. And I send it back to them. And they're like, oh, thanks. I'm going to practice this today. So it's been really cool. Oh, that's a good way to get lesson ideas together. Definitely. Definitely. And actually, we've gotten a lot of posts about that, like teachers showing sharing pictures of them using it in the studio with their students where they'll they'll open up the groove scribe on say an ipad or even a laptop and then they'll leave their students alone for five minutes and say okay you need to create a groove and then learn how to play it in the next five minutes oh, and so awesome. they're kind of bridging the gap because to me it's pointless to program if you're not going to sit down on the kit and try to practice it yeah so yeah it's been really cool man i'm super excited about it well let's get into some shop talk so Last week we teased accidentally. Uh, I didn't realize when I said, man, you know, it's like nylon tip versus wood tip. And then we didn't pay off. And uh, I got a few emails of people that are like, hey, you better finish that conversation because I don't know why they make nylon tip and wood tip. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into it a little bit. For for most of you guys, when you had that first experience of going to your music store or your drum shop and picking out your first pair of sticks... It must have hit you at some point in time that you were going to have to choose between wood tip and nylon tip. Those are really the two main tip options out there. Obviously, there's different shapes, but the two materials are wood tip and nylon tip. And the nylon tips are actual you know, drum beads that are glued on to a wood stick. So why do we have those? So, Mike, what is your opinion on this? Uh, twofold. Durability and articulation is my, my take on it. Because sometimes wood tips, they just chip away in, in, in strange ways. So you'll all of a sudden be hitting the ride cymbal and it just sounds like there's no sound because you're hitting right on that chip. And a nylon tip, will, it'll never chip. The tip can just break off, but it'll right. never chip. So you're always going to have uh, consistent articulation. That's the one thing. And then just the sound of it, a nylon has plenty more high-end attack than a wood tip. Right. So for me, I choose depending on the room. If the room is seems really washy, I might use a nylon just to give some more point. Or if I'm recording something and I need like the hi hat to be real crisp, I might go with a nylon tip and just only play with the tip and not the shoulder. Right. So yeah, I think also too people assume that it's going to affect everything, and and I haven't really noticed a massive difference on the drums, but it definitely comes out in the cymbals, like you said, when playing on the tip. Um, and so when I was younger, I thought it was for looks. I didn't call it nylon tip. I called it white tips. So I was like, you want white tips or brown tips? But (laughs) I I had no idea that it was separated. I mean, I was a kid. So how, you know, until someone tells you, how would you know? And that's kind of one of those things where I, I I feel like social media has put us in this world where you can't ask the beginner questions anymore without getting completely shamed for it. And it's like, well, 
everyone that has the answer used to not have the answer and then some someone told them so i think it's totally you know something to think about and i think it's also a good idea too to pick up like mike said if if you know that you play you know vic firth 5a's or promark 5a's or vader 5a's it's good to have 5a you know wood tips and nylon tips in your bag that way it's a sound choice and that's really what it is it's not a feel choice it's a sound choice and you say man I need way more articulation out of the ride symbol on this gig. I'm going to switch over to my nylon tip 5As. Yeah, and I picked up on that from my good friend Steve Fiddick, who you, he takes he plays mostly big band jazz with the Army Blues. And, okay. And most jazz kind of diehards would never use nylon tips. But then he was like, well, some, some shows I need more articulation. If we're playing a big gym, gymnasium and I'm playing with a big band, my ride symbol needs to have some point to it. So that was like the re clicked in my brain like oh yeah i should have both and use them interchangeable when i first started out i thought of wood tips as concert band sticks and nylon tips with for drum set and you get the hot sticks with the crazy colors and stuff yeah man of course that was that was for some reason that was in my brain because i guess my ludwig concert drum came with wood tip ludwig sticks so that just thought okay that's snare drum sticks i want to play drums i need the plastic ones right whatever reason i don't know why I guess I you know, figured I, more color and more material makes it better. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I, I, I felt the same way. I thought like, well, there's drumsticks and then there's the ones that they did something cool to. So yeah, right. I want those ones, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Did I ever tell you about, um, we might have even talked about it on the podcast, I think, at some point. But about how uh, Chris Dave was at Vader and uh, he pulled some, some wood sticks out of the trash that ha- didn't have the nylon tips glued on them yet. And he's like, that's what I want my signature stick to be. <laughs> And Vader was like, we can't put out, everyone will, in the industry knows that that's just a regular 7A stick without the tip glued on it. And he's like, well, either put it out or don't, but that's what you need to ship to me from now on. And it was like, so that's like what he was playing for a long time was just 7A nylon tips without the nylon tips glued on. I can't imagine why anyone would want that. I just can't <laughs> see what the sound would be. I, I mean, it'd be super small, I guess like, like really right. articulate. I don't, I'm not sure. I, you know what? I, I stopped questioning anything he does because I, I can't play half of it. So it's like, who am I to question it? So, but, uh, so yeah, so now you guys know it's a sound thing. So if you want more articulation out of your ride symbol, out of your hi-hat, then nylon tips are going to be great for you. They, they, there is a different feel, though, so just be ready for that. You know, If you're playing a lot of, say, ride symbol-based stuff or jazz swing, the wood tip has a softer impact on the ride symbol than you know, the nylon tip is. And that's how I've always thought of it. What does wood hitting metal sound like? What does plastic hitting metal sound like? Well, they sound very different and they also feel different. So just kind of know that going in. As far as the drums themselves, your snare, your toms, it's not going to be a massive difference whatsoever. And we should give credit to Joe Collado who invented the nylon tip stick for... Did he really? Yep. He was the first. And was was he, was it him by himself or was it regal tip at the time well i think he introduced his company with nylon tips so it was regal okay. tip by colada wow that i need wow. to confirm but i'm pretty sure his first product was the nylon tip stick wow yep. look at that this knowledge bomb has been brought to you by <laughs> uh oh by the way do you remember like a couple episodes you scratched out one of my fake sponsors yeah yeah <laughs> dude there's been so much speculation over who that who that sponsor was <laughs> yeah just all i did was just i inverted the waveform so it's backwards nice so if, anyone, if you could download it and you could turn it back around you'll hear what it is 
Perfect. Perfect. I love it. All right. Well, let's get into some education because there's a topic that kind of drives me bananas as an educator, and that is the topic of or the difference between groupings and subdivisions. So when somebody says something like these are groupings of five, they haven't given you any rate of speed yet. You know that the the grouping of notes that is being asked to be played is going to be a grouping of five. So that could be, say, Right, left, right, left, kick. Five notes in a row. Right, left, right, left, kick. Right, left, right, left, kick. But we don't know how it relates to the pulse. And that is where the term subdivision comes in. So let's just kind of break these things down. Grouping is a grouping of notes. It could be a grouping of three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, two million. Doesn't matter. It's just how many notes in a row are being played until the idea starts itself over. Subdivision is the rate of speed in relationship to the pulse. So as soon as I have a click going on, the subdivision is how many notes per pulse are happening. So eighth notes are a two-to-one ratio. Dut, 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 dut. Triplets are a three-to-one ratio. That means three evenly spaced notes per pulse. Dut, 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 dut. One, two, three, one, two, three. And it goes on and on from there. So you can have groups of three that are not triplets. You can be playing 16th notes. Dut, 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 And start accenting every third note. Dut, 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 dut. So those are groupings of three, but the subdivision is 16th notes. So have you ever run into this where somebody would say, oh, I'm just doing triplets on the hi-hat, but really they were doing maybe two 16ths and an eighth? Yeah, it seems like triplet is usually the term that gets screwed up. And and especially when you start talking about pieces of a triplet, that's so tough. So we we kind of default to using triplet partials. Like if you're talking about the middle eighth note of of an eighth note triplet. Sure. So even just saying eighth note triplet, does that mean one piece of a triplet, or does that mean three notes? Three notes. So sure. it, it, one, it gets to be a, a total head game, but we say triplet partials if you're talking about a piece of a triplet. But yeah, I've heard, I mean, triplet is a tough one. I know that, I mean, there's a classic example in Dennis Chambers, I think it's on the Serious Moves video, when he's okay. playing that, like, double bass ostinato that he's kind of made famous, where he has his left foot on the hi-hat and the and the left side pedal. Oh, yeah. Yep. So he plays one note with the left foot and two with the right. And he describes it as a three-beat triplet. And, I'm, and <laughs> right. it just, it, even as a teenager, when I saw him, I'm like, wait a minute, a three-beat triplet? What would that be? Would that be a dotted half note played with three? They just totally, I couldn't understand. And then all that. of a sudden, like, Europe comes in with <laughs> semi-quavers and half-quavers. And you're like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, so he was just playing... <laughs> Six, I believe, sixteenth note triplets. It depends. Sixteenth note triplets depends on yeah. how you count the pulse. But he was just playing triplets. He didn't need to yeah, say his, three beat triplets. That his left foot was playing eighth notes, and then his right foot was filling in the the missing sixteenth note triplets. Yeah, or it could have been, or or fast eighth note triplets. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think the word triplet is is really screws people up. And then is it fives or is it quintuplets? It's when right. we have these mix of terminology that it gets. And 16th notes is even tough because 16th note triplet is different than a 16th note. Totally. Yeah, well, and that's, and that's been a tough thing, too. Even as an educator, you know, 16th note triplets are technically called sextuplets, but drummers can't handle the word sex without <laughs> giggling. Right. And you just did. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> so I can't ever... <laughs> I can't ever use the word sextuplets because then it's like I'm I'm staring into a camera and yeah, I have to say yeah. the word sex and keep my <laughs> <laughs> great. Uh, Why aren't they called sextuplets? I mean, come on, right? Come on. Why if if 
if someone has six children at once, why would you call them sextuplets? Like, they should. All right. Let's get this thing back on the rails in three, two, one. Oh, so Lord. anyways, like I said, yes, I think they should be called six tuplets, not sextuplets. <laughs> but they are the same thing. Uh, so 16th note triplets, you know, that's something where e- even that people will just use the term triplets they'll just say oh they're triplets and i'm like well what kind of triplets they could be 32nd note triplets they could be 16th note triplets you know um so so that part's really important but i think what really helps with this is once you start working on groupings and you start thinking okay i'm gonna play this lick this lick like i said if it's a group of five this lick is right left right left kick okay now how fast are you playing that to the pulse are you playing it as quintuplets where it really fits on the downbeat, one e and a ga, two e and a ga, three e and a ga, four e and a ga, or are you playing? Is your subdivision eighth note triplets, one and a, two and a, three and a, four and a, and inside that you're playing groups of five, one two three four five, one two three four five, one two three four five, one two three four. So that's once you start messing around with five equals this idea, and now I'm going to run it through eighth notes. Eighth note triplets, sixteenth notes, sixteenth note triplets, quintuplets. You know, once you start doing that, that's when you start to separate. Oh, okay, now I know what a grouping is and what a subdivision is. Subdivision is the amount of notes per pulse that are evenly spaced, and then the grouping is how long your idea is. Yeah, it's tough. And then when you get into like playing different groupings within the subdivisions, I mean, it goes it goes down a rabbit yeah. hole real fast. Yeah, I was I was even thinking of that like the abaqua rhythm where. You're playing, you're in eighth note triplets, or, or you can feel it in six, eight, two, but you're in eighth note triplets, and you're playing three eighth note triplets on, and then one eighth note triplet off. So one and a two and a three and a four and a one, two, three, 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 you know, and then it's like, well, they're threes inside of eighth note triplets, but there's rest. So it's like, ah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a four. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, exactly. So it's group. Yeah, exactly. It's groups of four inside of eighth note triplets with the fourth note as a rest. Yeah, I don't know. Did if we, we solve uh, anything? I don't think we helped anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at least at least we've realized that we cannot say the word sex without giggling, and that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, you know what? Then let's get into something serious. Let's talk about uh, an artist that you guys featured in the November issue. Not the cover artist, but hopefully someday he will be a cover artist, and that is Mr. Robert Sput Seawright. Most people know him currently from his band snarky puppy but the dude's <laughs> the dude's list of projects is out of control you know he he was with snoop dogg as his md and drummer for seven years he was with celine dion on her vegas stuff for a while he's worked with justin timberlake uh he's uh he's even i don't want to get into too many details but he, he's even used the restroom while Michael Jackson was practicing dance moves right outside the restroom. <laughs> and uh, he, he told me that he was like, and then I just heard this dancing and then a hee hee. And he was like, I realized Michael Jackson was practicing right outside where I was going to the bathroom. And so uh, he's, uh, he's had quite, quite the gig rundown. And he's played with uh, uh, Puff Daddy or P. Diddy. I mean, he's, he's really kind of done everything. So um, when you guys decided to feature him, how long has Sput been on your guys' radar? It's been several years, but really okay. not... Um I can, you know, I guess we didn't really put two and two together because I, I think I met him at a NAMM show when he was working with Snoop Dogg. But then it was really when we started seeing all these videos of Snarky Puppy that we're like, okay, this guy is doing something that is really cool. Uh, yeah. I think it might have been Chris Brewer and Meinl who who shared some videos with us several years back. So we'd just been waiting for a good timing to do a, do a story with him. 
Uh, and what caught my ear and eye immediately was that this was a guy who was able to apply ridiculous chops and coordination in really difficult music, very creatively, very musically, and just seamless. Like he could play left-hand lead, not because he wanted, like, because it was hard, but because that's what he had to do to play the parts. Right. So if he felt like he, I kind of feel like he represents like the next level level of of where we were five years ago with everyone learning linear chops and stuff. He's right. now applying it in a hundred percent integrated way in a music that demands it. He's not just playing over the top licks because he wants to in a straight backbeat gig. He's he's doing all this cool stuff because it fits with the demands of the music. So. That's what impresses me the most. Like he, I can tell that everything he does has a musical intention. It's not show offy kind of drumming. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is, and that's what he. You know, um, he's been a musical drummer since he was a kid. He's actually uh, an even you know more accomplished uh, keyboard and piano player than he is a drum set player. So he's just he's an absolute musician, no doubt, and probably one of the reasons why he wasn't as on your radar as he could have been is he's so unbelievably humble. You know, mm. he just, he's not in your face. And if Chris Brewer wouldn't have sent you those videos, Sput wouldn't have sent them to you ever. Right. That's just, he's just so unbelievably humble. So, you know, um, he's one of the most musical drummers I've ever come across. That's why we wanted to involve him in the, um, you know, in the, uh, 21 drums drum camp that we did. And, and so now what's really cool is himself and Nate Worth, who is the percussionist for Snarky Puppy, they just came out with their first uh, album together. The band is called Ghost Note. And uh, it's, man, it's unbelievable to have an album by drummers, you know, four drummers. And it's, I wouldn't say it's four drummers because it's just for anyone. It, it just sounds so amazing. But I, I, I downloaded the album the second it came out, and it was so cool to see it go to number one on the jazz charts and replace Frank Sinatra. So Wow. Let me tell you the number one jazz chart uh, for iTunes. It goes Fortified by Ghost Note, then um, Nothing But the Best from Frank Sinatra, then Kind of Blue from Miles Davis, <laughs> Wow. Uh, Jazz in Paris, Miles Davis, and uh, then Seth MacFarlane and Tony Bennett. So, yeah, it's pr- a pretty cool accomplishment that they made it to number one on the jazz charts. Um, and they've incredible. been there for a little while now, so it's really cool, man. Really cool. Yeah, I've never seen some videos. I guess they did a little tour last fall or winter or something. I've never yeah. seen some of the videos, and, and and one of the pieces they were playing, it was it was like a traditional African piece that I remember studying in college that they had turned it into a an incredible duo, like incredible duets, and it was like really lots of polyrhythms and stuff stuff that i i never fully comprehended when i was studying that music in college so to hear two guys i mean take it somewhere else and actually compose their own unique piece based on these like like centuries old african compositions super cool i didn't realize that the album was out they work together really well man it's really cool the other thing to um for everyone to know is this is Sput's first release on his uh personal album or personal label. So his his record label is called RSVP Records and so the Ghost Note project is the first release on that. So for his first release ever on his own label to go to the number 1 on the jazz charts. That's that's pretty cool, man. It's that's pretty incredible. cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Super. And it couldn't happen to a nicer guy and not to mention, you know, Nate Nate Worth. If you guys haven't checked out Nate. I can tell you this: if, if you're a fan of Snarky Puppy, the first time I ever got to hang out with Sput, he came here to our facility, and uh, Minel sent him here. Actually, Chris Brewer was the one that said, "Hey, 
I need you to meet this guy. I think you guys are going to click. He's an incredible drummer. We're going to send him to you. Uh, so Sput was here, and I was already a fan of Snarky Puppy, and I was telling him like how much I loved his stuff. And he said, I guarantee you, whatever you think you're a fan of me for, you're actually a fan of Nate. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, whatever you're giving me credit for, I promise you, the coolest thing that is happening in our band is happening from our percussionist, not from me. And so then I would say, okay, well, show me the groove to this song. And he'd play it, and I was like, well, where's all the sauce? And he's like, that's Nate. And I was like, wow, okay. So then I really started paying attention more, you know, or equally to Nate Worth. And once again, one of the most humble kind human beings on the planet he couldn't be nicer but he he definitely doesn't get as much credit as he deserves because he really the two of them collaborate so brilliantly well so getting to see the ghost note project you know each guy has an equal role there isn't like the drum set players more important than the percussionist or vice versa it's very equal and uh, it's a really cool project so definitely check it out do you know the what the status is with larnell lewis is he a a Actually, is he a member of the band or is he yes. Sput's sub? What is the situation? Yeah, yeah. No, it is a little confusing, but it is he's an actual member of the band. And it's just that Sput and Larnell are both so busy that that gig can't have one drummer. So um, what's really cool is that, I mean, Larnell has just massively come into his own on the jazz scene recently, you know, or in the last couple of years mm-hmm. where he really has his own name now. Um, so... You know, it might have started out as Sput's sub, but now it's more like, who do you get to see when they come to your town? Because um, it it, def- it definitely there's such different drummers that the band takes on a different vibe um, depending on who's on the gig. But I know that um, Sput was telling me that on the new Snarky record that uh, Larnell did some of the tracks that there was there's a solo on it. And Spud said, he's like, well, the first time I heard it, I just thought, well, we just can't play that song live because I, I can't do it. I'm not doing that. And so I know that Spud has like so much respect for Larnell. It's awesome. There's definitely no competition. I mean, Larnell was on the snarky gig while Spud was doing the camp with Mark and myself. And so there's no jealousy there. It's all good vibes between the band and Spud and Larnell. It's really cool. Didn't you guys even feature Larnell a little bit in the article on Spud? We did. And it was it was just we couldn't quite figure out what the situation. We didn't know really how to present them. It was like, right. who, who's actually in the band now? We, I kind of <laughs> thought maybe Sput took a little hiatus, or, or Larnell was was just filling in for, the, or he was the drummer for this tour. I mean, we just had it was confusing. So I, I'm glad we can figure it out. I can't think of any other bands that have interchangeable drummers like that on equal parts. It's- it's like the Houston Texans. Is it Brian Hoyer or is it Ryan Mallett? What the hell? Just pick a quarterback. What's the big deal? Yeah, yeah. no, it's um, but I, and and that's like like I said, the good thing is you don't have two drummers that are trying to copy the other person's style or vibe. They just really have their own unique vibe and bring something unique to the band. And somehow that massive, maybe it's just because that band is made up of so many people that you know. I mean, because they go on different tours with different amounts of the group. You know, they'll do a a snarky puppy tour. Um, when they came here, they played in our facility and they had, I think it was like maybe eight people out of the band. And that was how that tour was going to go. It was like the small version. So yeah, I think they're pretty used to interchangeable parts and, you know, credit to them for just being able, you know, really credit to Mike, the bass player and kind of the director of the band for being able to keep all those egos in check. You know, he's kind of doing the Phil Jackson thing, just keeping everybody humble and making an amazing product. Yeah, it sounds like a true collective, which is nice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Really cool stuff. Sweet. So should we talk about some gear now? 
I think people deserve some gear talk. That's we. Or should we talk little, about uh, sex tuplets a little bit more? We should never ever bring up sex tuplets again. Like we're not talking about sex tuplets. We're not going to ever talk about. But I, I won't even go there. Yes, oh, nothing with tuplets. All right, so let's get into the gear review section. So this uh, in this one, you were reviewing the Pearl Wood Fiberglass Kit, and I, I read that it was like a throwback, like maybe they used to do it back in the past. I am so unfamiliar with this. You're going to have to completely go off on this. Yeah, well, I mean, we all kind of know about the history of American drums, but what we've a lot of us have forgotten is that all the, there's a lot of history with the Asian companies as well, and Pearl, Pearl was actually... In the sixties, I believe they were OEMing like just stencil brands. So if you got a a random drum set with whatever brand it was, chances are Pearl made it. And they they were those are the ones they were shipping to the U.S. and they were making their own stuff as well. And they were one of the I think they might have been one of the first to to make all fiberglass drums. They just wanted to do something different, so they made some fiberglass drums, and then they started like coating the interior of their regular drum shells with fiberglass and that kind of became the defining sound of of pearl drums for a while like wow steve gad used them in the early days so some really? of that really early stuff you hear from gad is actually a pearl kit uh with the, the pearl wood fiberglass shells um so they decided this year to to bring them back and, and instead of using the luon mahogany like they used on the originals uh, they went with the kapoor wood which is what they use in their high-end reference series drums. It's similar to mahogany. It's more. It's a deeper, darker, fatter-sounding wood, which is the same. Like Luan mahogany is is kind of that type of sound too. Okay. So what it does is it blends that kind of dark, fat, natural wood tone. You coat the inside with fiberglass, and all of a sudden you've got a lot of high-end that was missing. So it's almost it gives you almost like a pre-EQ'd drum sound. Wow. So, okay, so when you're looking at the inside of the shell, this isn't like a sheet of plastic on the inside of a drum set. No, is it it's, like, it's, it was is like... Is it more like a thick lacquer, almost? It, exactly. It's hand-applied. It's It starts out as a as a liquid and dries hard. Okay, okay. So it's like a it's like a inner layer of a fiberglass shell inside of a wood shell. Now, is it uh, crystal clear? Like, can you see the wood grain through it and everything? You can. I mean, or it has it some hazy? texture because it's... It is fiberglass is fiberglass okay. is a bunch of glass tubes, so it, it has yep. some texture to it. But it's you can see the wood. Um, you probably wouldn't even if it didn't say wood fiberglass on the badge. You probably would just think they just coated the interior with a, a lacquer. Okay. It looks like I mean it's it looks like a wood shell drum. What sizes did they send you to test out? Uh, a bigger kit. I believe it was a 13 inch rack tom, 16 inch floor tom, and a 14 by 22 inch bass drum. Oh, cool! Very cool. And it was in like a like a natural kind of champagne looking finish. Uh, they redid the badge, so it's kind of like the old style pearl badge. It's really neat, and and, and uh, I thought it brought something a new a new texture to the to the to the palette. Um, I used it on a a couple tracks. I used it with a I got hired to do a track for a, a guy who wanted kind of like a Rob Zombie sound so a lot of samples and a lot Perfect. of like real triggery kind of drum tones but i wanted to go natural and this just had that i tuned the drums about as low as i could go and there was so much attack it sounds like there's a sample on it but it's not brittle and harsh because the, the kapoor is a lot of fat deep tones so it was it was perfect for that and then i also use it on like a modern rock band that's 
I mean, in the vein of like a Deftones or a Papa Roach or something. And they okay. were perfect for that as well. But they're also, wow. they could be used in any genre. It's it's a, it's hard to put it in the words. It's like a dark drum sound with the high end crispness that you lose from mahogany. Wow, that's cool, man. And yeah. these are, so 45 degree bearing edges yep. uh, and then round bearing edges on the bass drum. Yep. So, and then do you know where this is cost-wise? Is this up in that reference area, or is this kind of more no, in the mid-level kit? No, it, that's that's why I think this is going to be really successful. You can get the, the three-piece shell pack for around $1,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's Oops, totally... Just hit my mic. <laughs> got a little excited <laughs> <Sorry about> there. <laughs> I got so excited. $1,000, what? Yeah, the street price is $1,055. Oh, my goodness. For, for a, you know two toms and a bass drum. That's great. That's yeah, really and, cool. and they're not. I mean, they're professional. I would. I would say, put them up there with your highest of high quality drums. It's just a different cool. sound. It's not yeah. so different. It's not like a full acrylic kit that's just a completely different tone. It, it's. It sounds like if just hear it by itself, it's like oh, those sound like drums. But you put it next to your maple drums or next to your mahogany drums, and it's just it's a different texture, darker but brighter. Now everything that I'm seeing online with this has the three-piece kit do you know have they made snare drums in this yet or do you know they do but they put them in a different series they call them like the hybrid exotics i believe okay Um, got it so the snare that they sent is it's basically the exact same it's the wood fiberglass shell but it's in a different series so they're they're not including like matching drums at this point okay very cool yeah i'm just kind of i'm excited to hear them at nam and uh i would like to hear the snare on its own too you know because um as you and most of our listeners probably know, but drummers have a, a little snare fetish, and if I can buy a snare drum from anything, I want it. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it, knowing even knowing that I can't play it because of things with Gretsch, you know, I still I could still play it at home. There's no <laughs> yeah. cameras at the house, so <laughs> uh, cool, well, man. Very cool. Well, let's take a listen to these drums. Now it's time to get to our picks of the week. This is a chance for Mike and myself to alert you to small goods that we think are amazing um, and just things that maybe haven't gotten quite seen the light of day. So this week, my pick of the week is uh, actually related to Modern Drummer. It is the ProLogix Blue Lightning Pad. And the reason I say it's related to Modern Drummer is I've known about ProLogix for a long time. I'm not an artist. I'm not endorsed by them. But... I never really had a chance to try out their products other than it maybe PASIC for a second at their booth or at NAMM. And then when I did, I think it was Drum Days two years ago, which Modern Drummer was a, a huge sponsor of, Modern Drummer gave us like a goodie bag. And in that goodie bag was a, a Blue Lightning uh, pad from ProLogix. And I was super excited because I was like, cool, I finally get to try one of these things out. But it's, 
I, I don't know technically what it's made out of, but it seems like it's made out of mouse pad material. And it is so cool because not only is it great for your chops as far as it doesn't have as much rebound as some of those kind of rubber flubber pads where they just completely fool you into thinking you're the fastest drummer on the planet. But more importantly than it just kind of having that almost like floor tom feel was the volume. Think about hitting a rubber pad and how much noise it'll make throughout your hotel room or out your house. You know, it's got a lot of attack. And then think about hitting a mouse pad and and imagine that sound. Well, what's really cool is now I can practice, you know, at midnight in the house. The wife's asleep and, you know, unless I'm going crazy on it, it I can practice and it doesn't she doesn't hear it at all, you know. So I really enjoy this pad. I've got the thirteen inch version and then um you know, full disclosure, ProLogic saw that I was using that and they sent out a bunch of the 14-inch versions for our campers. But like I said, I'm not an artist, not endorsed by them. I just, I really enjoy that pad. It also has a rim around the edge so you can practice uh, cross-stick exercises or you can get some kind of rim shot stuff going on. Have you ever tried one of their pads? Yeah, yeah, I became uh, aware of them. I think it was at a PASIC. And I think, I mean, they, originally it was for their brush pads. They were making like... Yep pads that had they they could put these overlays on them that show different brush patterns from different artists and stuff which was super cool but yeah i like the way they feel because i actually on my desk right now i have a civic first steve gad 70th birthday commemorative practice pad okay <laughs> which is just like it's a like a regular rubber pad but on the underside is that like mouse pad material yep so i actually only use that side i don't use the rubber side at all Totally, it, it just feels more like a drum to me, and I and so yeah, and his and his stuff, the ProLogic stuff, has that same feel. So I, yeah, I highly recommend it. And he's a good guy. So it's basically a one man operation. So if you're looking to support a small company, you know he could he'd be appreciative, and it's good stuff. Definitely, and and they have multiple surfaces, so you can go all the way up to like marching drum, you know, tightness. I just really like the Blue Lightning one because, like I said, I can. I feel like I'm helping out my chops, but most importantly, it just I can do it in the hotel room and not feel guilty that I'm keeping up, you know, an entire floor of my hotel. So, what is your pick of the week, sir? My pick of the week for about a year now, I've been using this thing called the Big Fat Snare Drum, which is um, it's kind of like a, a commercialized version of an old trick where if you if you cut out an old snare drum head and lay it on top of your snare drum, it kind of gives you an instant Don Henley sound. Uh, so this this was created with that in mind, but they just they did really good upgrades to it. They put a, a strip of like heavy rubber around the outside so it, it won't fly off the drum, and they put a little like a little cutout so you can very easily grab it with your thumb and just pull it off. Nice. And the reason I prefer it is it's good for for live situations where if you're playing if you're in a cover band and you have to play like James Brown songs where you want a tight snare, but then the next song is a, a p-funk song and you need like a dead sounding snare rather than swapping out drums or retuning you just throw this thing on and it, it i tell you it's instant it sounds it'll sound just like a like a 70s sample just by throwing this thing on there so and i took one on the road last year for five weeks and i didn't i didn't i didn't remove it once and i also only had to tune the drum once really because it just it just sounds good one time wow. The snare drum was causing like a little bit of feedback in one of the rooms we were in. Like it was getting into the vocal mic and causing some feedback, so I had to tighten up the the, the batter head just a little bit. But aside from that, I didn't I didn't touch the snare drum. I just set it up, and everywhere we went, it sounded great. And you know, the other, and it's 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'll say the other uh, advantage of it is that it also brings down the volume of the snare drum considerably. So if we play a lot of acoustic music or if we just can't hit the snare drum quiet enough, this is a good option. And there's a version with a center cut out of it, like a six-inch hole, I guess. So you can still play on the actual drum head and get all the response. Uh, so, yeah, I use it all the time. I've used it on a few sessions. It's, it's, it's particularly great for live. Yeah, I've been really surprised, too, how, you know, at first it came out, I know it was at NAMM this past NAMM, but it's been out for a little while, and I remember thinking, like, okay, it's pretty gimmicky, I don't think it's going to catch on, and then all of a sudden, it wasn't gimmicky, and real players were using it, like, Benny Greb has one all the time on his yeah. side snare, um, I've seen quite a few pros that have it on their setup, so. Yeah, I was made aware it's, of it really by cool. uh, Elliot Jacobson, who tours with okay. Ingrid Michelson. He was and my friend Kevin Rice, who's out with uh, Christina Perry. Okay, those were two, the yeah. two guys that I first saw. Like, all right, if they're using these things on like big stages, playing arenas and stuff, let me check it out. And it's, I mean, yeah, you could make your own, and you could probably figure out a way to get it to. But I mean, it's just it's seamless for for the for the I think it's like twenty bucks or so. To just throw it on the drum, and it's it's not going to fly off. It's not going to rip up. It's good quality. Cool, man. Highly recommend. And, and make ones with jingles, too. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. And just to reiterate, even though it's called Big Fat Snare Drum, it is not a snare drum. This is something you put on your snare drum. Yeah, it gives you that Big Fat Snare Drum sound. Exactly. And yeah. and is that the name like of the actual company, Big Fat Snare Drum? It is. It's a one-product it's a awesome. one product company. I think, it, awesome. I think it, it might still be. It was originally BigFatSnareDrum.com. That was the company. Okay. Wow. Very cool, man. Very cool. Awesome. Well, you guys have some stuff to check out. You've got, uh, you're going to have to go down to your store and buy yourself a pair of nylon sticks to go with your wood tip sticks. And uh, definitely check out, uh, go to uh, Gretch's Facebook page and, and check out that video of Matt Chamberlain getting all of his new drum sets. And then just stifle your your jealousy and just be happy for the man. He, he's on... Whoever your favorite drummer is, I'm just going to let you right, know right now, your favorite drummer is actually Matt Chamberlain. So whatever <laughs> album you think your favorite drummer is on, I promise Matt Chamberlain actually recorded it for that guy. So, all right, everybody. Well, have a great day. If you can, stop by iTunes or Podcast One and give us a positive review. That stuff really helps. But until the next time, it's Mike and I signing out. See ya.